Welcome to Whores Talk Whore. We're not really whores. We just like wordplay. Hello and welcome to Whores Talk Horror. I'm Sharon. And I'm Melinda. If you are a regular listener to our show, you know how much Sharon and I love Bob Clark's 1974 classic, Black Christmas. In our January Tidbits of Terror episode, Sharon surprised me with the news that there is an unofficial sequel to the film titled It's Me, Billy, due out sometime this year. But don't take my word for it. Can you tell I'm excited? Joining us today <laughs> is filmmaker Dave McRae, who is one of the writers, directors, and producers responsible for bringing this mysterious new story to life. And as if that wasn't enough, Dave also provides the voice of Billy, our favorite obscene phone call enthusiast uh, in his upcoming short film. Dave may close some of those uh, open-ended questions that Bob Clark left for us back in 1974. I don't know. We're going to have to see. But Sharon and I are beyond thrilled to have Dave as our guest on our show today to talk about this new film, his thoughts on Bob Clark's original Black Christmas and the remakes of Black Christmas <laughs> and horror movies in general. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me, ladies. I am excited to be here and talk Black Christmas with fellow Black Christmas fans who appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, welcome. And before we start talking about It's Me, Billy, I just wanted to talk a little bit about you. So besides filmmaking, you are also a professional award-winning voice actor. And just hearing you talk just even for those few seconds there, I mean, duh. <laughs> <laughs> of course you are. Um, I'm sure we've heard your voice in many commercials and movie trailers throughout the years. In fact, I know I have and probably most of our listeners have as well because you actually did the voiceover for It Chapter One for the movie trailer. So how did you get into filmmaking and voice acting? Oh, boy. Uh, well, I'll try and give the Cliff Notes version. Um, <laughs> so uh, I started out actually wanting to do uh, on-camera and pursue a career in on-camera acting. And I was doing that uh, the turn of the century, uh, dating myself, but uh, uh, when I left college and then I uh, fell into voiceover, like I've always, I, I come from a family that's very sort of outgoing and, and extroverted and doing funny voices and things like that. I've always done that, but I decided to put it to good use uh, probably about 2002, 2003, somewhere around there as a side thing while I was pursuing my on-camera acting career. And then it kind of took over and it just kind of, I became really successful at it and, and it sort of took over the, the on-camera side and the rest is history, as they say. I've been full-time since 2006 and I work out of my professional home studio here in Toronto, Canada. And yes, I am Canadian. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And yeah, and then I, I just, uh, I don't know. It's, I just, how did I do it? I, I don't know. I just kept at it and, and uh, got an agent and just kept pursuing the craft of voiceover. And uh, yeah, I've done everything from radio and television commercials, network promos, movie and game trailers. I did do uh, 
uh, a couple of spots for it chapter one. Uh, I'm not the only guy that that did though. There there are several that that did, and I was one of them. They, they didn't come back to me for it chapter two, but uh, in this business, you don't take things personally. It's just it is a business, and and uh, uh, you know you have to move on. But uh, I've enjoyed the process, and uh, it's been a heck of a ride so far. Um, trying to keep this short and sweet. I mean, I could go on and on. <laughs> and so, but in a nutshell, I got into it that way. I, I started as an on-camera actor and I uh, pursued VO at the same time. And then the VO just took over. That's great. Yeah, I was on your website looking through your, I guess your audio resume that you yes. have up there and listening to all the commercials and trailers and other things that you've done. Very, very impressive. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Mindy, all right, let's let's get to It's Me, Billy, because I know that we're both dying to talk about this. That's <laughs> why I'm here. <laughs> um, so I wanted to actually start by reading a quote from your Indiegogo page for It's okay. Me, Billy. And um, it's a quote that really resonated me, for, resonated with me, I should say. Words are hard. Yeah. <laughs> for anyone who goes to that page, this is under the Why Black Christmas section. Um you mentioned that you and your team, quote, have a great appreciation for what Bob Clark was doing during a time when more and more torture porn and gratuitous violence was making its way into the genre. And here is where you won me over, Mr. McCray, sir. Okay. <laughs> quote, <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> and I quote, we understand the value of what now appears to be a lost art. Scare an audience in the minds before you show them anything on screen. We want to create a tribute film to one of the most famous Canadian films ever made by making a short sequel that displays the same type of mood, atmosphere, and theater of the mind that Black Christmas gave us in 1974. What Black Christmas did for the Canadian film industry has never been forgotten, unquote. I completely 100% agree with you about yes. the whole right. <laughs> lost, like the lost art of the the theater of the mind. I right. My jam is go a good psychological horror movie. Yes. So sounds like It's Me, Billy is going to follow in the cinematic footsteps of its predecessor. But I'm curious, it's clearly going to have a shorter runtime as the 1974 film, without uh, giving too much away, can you talk a little bit about establishing that kind of mood and atmosphere, but in a short form? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, I mean, yes, it's a, it, it is a short film. And, you know, first things first. I mean, the, the story is the most important thing. And myself and my buddy, Bruce, who I've known for nearly 30 years, he's my best friend. And we go back to the seventh grade together, back all the way to the early 90s. And um, we've been making movies since we were kids. So working with him, it's a very natural process. It feels, you know, we don't always agree on everything, but, but we certainly know how to work out our differences. The one thing we needed to do when it came to doing Black Christmas, doing a short tribute film to Black Christmas, which really hasn't been done before. There's a lot of fan films online. I mean, the fan film genre is almost becoming a genre in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And there are some really good movies. There are some really bad movies. Some are really <laughs> professionally done. Some not so much. It's very saturated. And in the horror space, the, the top sort of seemed to be Halloween and Friday the 13th and all that, which is great. But we wanted to tackle something different that hadn't been done before and that nobody was really talking about. So we decided on Black Christmas. I came to Bruce and I said, hey, what about this? I was watching it one night 
And I was like, geez, you know, it's got the perfect ending. It doesn't need a sequel. It's one of the greatest horror movies ever made. It's one of the greatest endings to a horror movie ever made. It certainly does not need a sequel. But what if there was? What if we could play in the sandbox? Could we do it and honor it and not piss people off? Because certainly the 2006 movie, you know, and then the 2019 movie, people were not, ah, I don't know, you know. And we thought, is there something more to tell? Could we do it? And... It all starts with the story in terms of setting that tone and that mood, but it comes with the mind frame as well, right? The mindset, right? You can go in this direction or you can go in that direction. And we knew as we were writing the story that it was going to be a continuation set nearly 50 years later. And, but what was that story about? And once you crack the code of what the story is, paying attention to keeping sure that it aligns with the tone and the mood and the atmosphere is pretty straightforward. I mean, I, I don't know if there's a magic red button per se, but it, it, it came pretty naturally once we cracked the code of, you know, what is this going to be about? That's a great answer. I love that. Cracking the code. It's all mm -hmm. about the story. I love For sure. it. hundred percent. Most important thing. And I have to ask because I did read somewhere, it might, I can't remember if it was on Indiegogo or somewhere else where I was preparing for this, but you had mentioned, you know, that you're from Toronto and that Black Christmas was such a big deal growing up, knowing that it was filmed in Toronto. Um, clearly, it had an impression on you as a horror fan and an aspiring filmmaker. Did you ever meet Bob Clark? I did not. No, I never did. I uh, unfortunately, of course, he passed away in 2007, as we know, uh, unfortunately killed in um, uh, a car accident with his son, I believe. So I never did get a chance to meet him. But it did. It, 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 I've always appreciated that theater of the mind. I'm a big fan of John Carpenter's Halloween. Um, and I'm usually a big fan of the first or the first couple of installments of classic horror series like Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Child's Play, you know, whatever it is. I usually tend to really resonate with the first or first couple because they tend to be the most you know, moody or atmospheric and they haven't gone off the rails yet, you know, yeah, into, right. into weird sensational territory. So I've always been a theater of the mind kind of person. And I think the older I've gotten, I'll be 42 in May, the older I've gotten, I, I think I'm, I appreciate it even more. And Bob Clark's Black Christmas is the, almost the quintessential example uh, of a that kind of thing of a theater of the mind sort of it, it's not quite in the same vein as like the 50s 60s horror films it's sort mm -hmm. of it is in it, it's 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 in that transitional period where horror was changing but it's almost like the best of both worlds it's it's a it was a little like whoa for 1974 especially some of the things that billy's saying on the phone but it still has that theater of the mind psychological aspect to it and uh and of course it was a big inspiration for for things to come after it i mean it predates halloween by four years so no i didn't get a chance to meet him but certainly i've always been a big fan of that style of horror i i think i think you know i often say that you can put a bunch of people in a theater when you dangle that carrot and you create that theater of the mind everybody is scared in the same way and the reason is because you are allowing everybody to go to their own place of dread. Now, my place of dread in my mind may be different from your place, but because we're not being shown what that is yet, 
during the movie, we're both going there. We're enjoying it on the same level. We're both going to the same place, maybe different places for ourselves, but we're going there. If we show something too soon or it's too graphic right out of the gate or we, you know, we, we drop the ball immediately, that might work for me and I might watch it and go, oh my God, that's exactly what I pictured. But you sitting next to me might go, eh, that's not what I pictured. And now you've already checked out five minutes into the movie. So theater of the mind is really important. You've got to take your audience on a journey and scare them in their minds before you uh, reveal what's going on. Well, I have to say that you're in good company in your choice of horror, but also let's just end this interview now and watch the movie, please, because now I'm like absolutely <laughs> dying to see it. <laughs> it's still in post-production. Okay. I'll be patient, I guess. <laughs> So kind of piggybacking on um, what you were saying about theater of the mind and, um, you know, giving the audience too much and letting mm-hmm. the audience kind of make up their mind. You Correct. know, the original Black Christmas, the ending is pretty ambiguous. So mm-hmm. when you first watched it, did you have a specific vision of how you personally felt the movie ended or were you open to multiple interpretations? Great question. Um, I... You know, I mean, there's the people have analyzed the film uh, to great degree. I mean, there's there is at the very least circumstantial evidence to suggest that Jess did die, uh, because of course, if you pay attention, you you understand that Billy seems to make a phone call after every time he kills somebody. And certainly the phone is ringing and ringing and ringing. Jess is left in the house alone with Billy. Maybe that's the sign that she died. But then again, who is he calling if if everybody else is dead in the house? Um, or is it Billy calling anybody? Is somebody calling the phone from outside the house? You know, there's there's so many different ways that you can go about it. I didn't really particularly lean one way or the other. I, I tend to kind of like to think about several different options and and what they could mean. Um, I just love the ambiguity of it. I I just love the idea that you don't know. You have Mm -hmm. absolutely no idea what the hell happened. And that's the point. The Mm -hmm. bad guy wins, (laughs) you know, and that's whether Jess is dead or not, he wins in the sense of, you know, that, that he hasn't been caught. And uh, and the phone ringing becomes almost a symbol at that point. Agreed. Yeah, that's one of the things that Mindy and I really appreciate about the film, too, is is not only is the ending very ambiguous, but even just the character of Billy himself. They they don't give you any sort of a, a background to where he came from or what his motivation is for killing, you know, which I think just makes it even scarier. Um, yeah, you're bang on. And this leads into um, actually... Something uh, that I'm sure you're aware of, Mindy. Um. <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, I know we touched a little bit on a bit ago about um, there's fan uh, fan films that have been made, but I'm sure you're aware that Bob Clark had wanted to make a sequel and was actually planning on making a sequel before he passed away tragically. Um, Correct. And Olivia Hussey and John Saxon were on board. Um, and I think the plans were to have Jess be like the new house mother of the sorority in Clark's mm-hmm. script. Um, but there's been so many variations at this point. It's truth and urban legend are colliding. Correct. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you're allowed to say, have you seen any of the other drafts of that film? No, 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 I have not. I'm, I'm aware of it. I, I'm aware that it was in early development. 
and that there was a lot of talk and people were, you know, agreeing to it. Uh, but I am not aware of any, I'm aware that she was, the, the idea was that she may be the house mother, but uh, beyond that, I'm, I'm, I'm not too aware of, of any other details. Is that something that you think though that you might have wanted to have been involved in if you could have in some way or oh, sure yeah <laughs> I mean it I mean why how 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 could you turn it down I mean I, I I would have loved to have done it or or at least been a, a part of it I mean that would have been great I mean um I mean at the time I don't know if it would have worked because it would have been back in the early part of the 2000s and I would have been in my early 20s so I don't who's this kid you know what I mean but uh <laughs> but certainly I mean in in principle of what you're saying yeah it would it, it would have been amazing um, so you had mentioned you're in post-production right now. Is there any sort of idea as, as to when there would be a release date for It's Me, Billy? Well, we're hoping uh, no no concrete date yet. Um, we're hoping, you know, on our teaser trailer that we released on Christmas Eve, we said spring 2021. Um, and sometimes people have asked, why wouldn't you wait till Christmas? And we, we just, you know, basically selfishly said, because we just don't want to wait that long. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, but we did need some time to obviously put the film together. So, um, no hard date yet, but we're aiming for, you know, late spring and end of May, maybe somewhere around there. Well, we don't want you to wait that long either. So, um, yeah. right. See, that's that. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Do you know where um, people would be able to watch the film when it is released? Yeah, we're going to release it on. Uh, I mean, we are exploring the the festival idea at the moment. Some festivals, though, as I'm sure you guys know, it depends on the festival. But some festivals require it to be an exclusive, and and it's not seen anywhere else. Or you know, that's why some movies play the festival circuit, and when they come out. They the movie's actually two or three years old, you know, but it's actually been playing the festival circuit for two or three years. We don't necessarily want to do that. We're excited to get it out there. We know that if we were to release it on YouTube, which it will be, uh, that's where it's going to get the most eyeballs at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, so definitely YouTube for sure. Uh, and maybe a festival or two if, if, if we can swing it. Well, if it helps, um, if you can provide a few contacts, Sharon and I are more than happy to like make some calls. We are obviously very enthusiastic about wanting to see this and we could be very persuasive. So if you have any trouble with like release dates, literally just say the word. We got your back. All right. Wonderful. (laughs) Duly noted. Thank you, guys. Um, So you did touch a little bit on this earlier. I kind of think I know what your answer is going to be, um, but we'll discuss it anyway. Sure. What did yeah. you think of the 2006 and 2019 remakes of Black Christmas? Well, uh, <laughs> uh, I'll just leave it there. No. Um, so I, I mean, obviously, yeah, obviously I'm not a big fan and uh, two very different movies, 06 and 19. Um, 2006 was, uh, well, both were reimagining, I guess, remakes and reimagining the, the mythology. No surprise. What works really well from the original Black Christmas is keeping the anonymity and the ambiguity of the character, uh, very present. And, and that doesn't mean that 
if you were to do a remake or do a sequel that you can't open some things up a little bit. But the character, very much like the character of Michael Myers from Halloween, it was built on the foundation of ambiguity and the mystique and the mystery. And if you open that up and you say, here it is, I mean, it's it's not that it's wrong. It's just a different style. It's a different flavor. It It's a very different feeling to the movie when you are no longer put in the same position as the characters on screen. You are now put in more of an objective position where you know what's going on and you're watching the characters discover what you already know. It's very different when it comes to something like Black Christmas where you are one of the girls in the house. You know, you don't know what's going on. You don't know who this character is. You don't know where it's coming from. You are on the journey together. They're very two different styles and very very two different feelings. I, I quite like the one where you're like part of the group and you're discovering it together and you're part of the mystery. The 2006 Black Christmas, of course, was very modern-day slasher and the mythology, and they wrote all this backstory, and they leaked it all out, and they showed you, I mean, they just showed you everything. Mm -hmm. And it's not that it doesn't have a few, you know, it's not that it's not fun in its own right, but it's a very different movie. Um, When it comes to the 2019 film, I think it was a missed opportunity. I think that I understand... I heard I heard um, a quote and I thought that they were bang on. They they said that um, the 2019 film is is not a movie with a political with a political message attached to it. It's a political message with a movie attached to it. <laughs> yes. And, and I think and in principle, I don't think there's anything wrong with the idea. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the principle of what they were trying to say. But when you you know, because I know a lot of women as well that don't like the movie and that were like, it felt too preachy to me, too on the nose, a little too condescending. Now, not every woman would feel that way, but mm-hmm. I certainly do know enough that do feel that way. It didn't feel organic. It felt sort of kind of, you know, a little on the nose. And there was nothing really Black Christmas about it. Um, it was almost like they were using the IP and then they had this story that felt similar. There were some parallels, very much like maybe Sorority Row kind of had some parallels, you know. But it wasn't the Black Christmas we knew. There was no Billy. There was no phone calls. There was, it was very, very different. And I think if they had, like, I, I'm, I'm, my hat goes off to Sophia Takal and April Wolf. Uh, because I think they're extraordinarily talented. The important message that they were trying to deliver, which is important in principle, gets lost in translation. And people just don't see it. They just see sort of this, you know, and, and it was cut down as far as I know, too. They cut a lot of the 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 horror out to try to get the PG-13 rating, as far as I know. And you can kind of tell that with some of the editing. I think if they had just called the movie um, Slay Girls, which was the subtitle, I think it would have done better because I don't think there would have been an expectation. And I think people would have been like, oh, that's kind of funny. It's kind of like Black Christmas sort of. Oh, that's kind of funny. You know, but there wouldn't have been this real expectation for it. I think Slay Girls would have been a better title, actually. Um, So not a big fan of it. I agree with the principle. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And I think they they did their best. But I just think it got lost in translation. I agree a hundred percent. Yes. And that's a really great way to put it. And that I couldn't articulate my thoughts, but it was, how did you say it was a political message with a movie attached or vice versa? (laughs) Correct. Because the best things too, like when you look at the original Black Christmas, I mean, 1974, we have to remember that there are some quote unquote politically things in there, but it's subtext. 
and it's it's not it's not driving the narrative per se, right? It's sort of this subplot, but it's because you know I I mean you have Jess who's a woman, a young lady in 1974 who's pregnant. Whoa, holy shit! Mm-hmm. She's the one that wants to have an abortion. What? I mean, that's a <laughs> sort of a role reversal there, right? I mean, usually it would be the man going get you know please my God please get rid of the baby, and and it's not. It's Jess wants to get rid of the baby. Peter wants to keep it. So, you know, in I mean, now that would be like whatever. But in 1974, that was that was huge. And but it didn't those types of things didn't feel it, it was just it was it wasn't heavy handed. Yeah, it was just subtext. It was there. It felt more organic. Yep. You know, it was I mean, the, the 2019 Black Christmas opens with a quote that just lays the foundation of what you can expect for the whole movie and, and sort of like, well, here we go. I don't think there's anything wrong with, with wanting to make stories that empower women and lift people up. And I think that's good, but I think if, if it's done, it, it's got to be done in the right way because there are women out there too that are like, hang on a sec here. This is even too preachy for me, you know, and it's, it's got to be done in the right way or it's just going to get lost. I agree. Yeah, we've Mindy and Mindy and I have had this discussion before where we're like why did they even call it Black Christmas? So, yeah. totally agree with that. They should have just made a film that was its own thing and not tried to um I don't know, cash in on the success of the original and then I th- I think the 2006 one, correct me if I'm wrong, did that do pretty well or was that just a bomb? I know there's a huge fan base out there that loves that movie. Myself, I'm not really a huge fan of it, but I know that it does have a lot of people that are like pro <laughs> yes, 2006 remake. It's, it's sort of become kind of like a little cult film, I think. it's. Um, I don't know how well it did. I don't recall it doing extraordinarily well, but it, I mean, I don't know how much it cost either. I mean, maybe it made its money back. I don't, I don't know. Um, and it's not, it's not a terrible, it's not like a terrible, terrible movie. It's just when it's just not black Christmas, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so I didn't even see it. So sorry, Sharon, but I didn't bother <laughs> to see it. <laughs> I've warned Mindy so many times, do not watch it. Cause I know how much she loves the original. And I was like, you will detest this film. Like, just mm. don't even bother. You know, it just goes to me. That one just goes like, so over the top with the gore without having any sort of tension or mystery to back it up. And I have no problem with gore. It's just, I think it needs to be done like, more purposeful and also you know if i if i'm watching a movie like that i want to be scared That's you know right. and there's there's fun gore movies where there's just like off the wall like ridiculousness and gore and that's always good too but agreed yeah, it just kind of fell flat for me. Um, I, I did some quick research. The uh, the 2006 Black Christmas was budgeted around nine million, and worldwide it made about twenty one and a half million. Okay. So you factor in. I don't know what their marketing the yeah. the the nine million would would have been the production budget that wouldn't have included marketing. So it probably if it broke even it it barely did. Yeah. Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious about the filmmaking side of things mostly. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm really curious. Can you briefly talk about what it was like to film It's Me, Billy, I assume, during at least partly during COVID, this pandemic? Yeah. Well, that's a great question, Spencer. Um, so... We were hoping to release our Indiegogo campaign in April of 2020, but then that got delayed until uh, July. I think we I think we launched it on July 4th. Actually, we delayed it, and we just I don't know. I mean, 
The pandemic here in Canada has, I mean, obviously our countries are like basically, I mean, they're, you know, right, well, they are, they're right next to each other. And uh, we don't have the population, of course, that the United States has, but we got hit hard with it too. Now it's relative. It was, I mean, things were shut down. We got locked down as well. And, and the first lockdown, the film industry also shut down. So we were like, oh my God, you know, what are we going to do? We got the script. Do we launch the campaign? Do we not launch the campaign? We ended up launching the campaign. We took the risk. The fact that we were able to raise the production budget during a pandemic and most of my viewers on my YouTube channel, about 74% of my viewers, according to my analytics, are from the U.S., so the fact that we were able to raise the production budget, which is 60,000 Canadian, about 45,000 US for the movie is insane in and of itself. It humbled us. It went to show us how much people believe in the project, how much they believe in us to also do the project. Uh, because Black Christmas is one of those niche movies that, you know, I mean, if I wanted to raise $200,000 to do a Halloween fan film, I could probably do it in an afternoon. I mean, it, it, people are just obsessed with Halloween. But to do it with Black Christmas is, is, is pretty tricky, and it's amazing that we did. But uh, so the summer months went by and we moved into the fall and the numbers were starting to increase again. And but we found out that the industry wasn't shutting down, though. We were just sort of, you know, monitoring it and all that kind of stuff. And and uh, we were able to shoot it. We followed the procedures and protocols set forth by the Ministry of uh, uh, Health and Labor, I believe, of the Ministry of Ontario, I should say. And uh, as it relates to film production here in Canada, we followed all of the guidelines and the sanitizing and the masking and the temperature checking and all that kind of stuff. The good news is that we had a crew, uh, cast and crew total was about 17, 18 people. And we were shooting essentially in one location. So that really benefited us. And it was a catered set. So nobody was going out to eat. It was, you know, they were coming in. I think if we were shooting, you know, at 10 different locations, that would have been really tricky. Um, but nobody got sick. Everybody was healthy. It was, I don't, you know, I think once we settled in, Everybody got comfortable. We were wearing our masks, of course, but everybody felt comfortable. And it was just kind of getting over that initial sort of pre-jitters of shooting a movie during a pandemic. You know, how is this going to go? And once we settled in by like day two or three, we were we were okay. Um, but the fact that we were able to pull all of this off in 2020 is insane. Yeah, I think if we had known at the time about the Indigo, Indiegogo campaign, we would have given you as much money as we possibly could have afforded <laughs> just to get it made. Um, so you would have had a little bit extra. Amazing. Um, yeah, because uh, as as Mindy and, and Sharon have said that they're huge fans of this film and um, another film that they are big fans of, especially Sharon, is Halloween, um, which uh, I think you might be a little bit of a fan of too, right? Just a little yeah. bit, just a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, so I read that you um, have written, directed, and also starred in some short Halloween fan films. So <laughs> how many Halloween short films have you made, and what was your inspiration for making them? Well, the Halloween fan films, oh my God, started in 2009, and I just started, I just, I mean, and they're not professionally done. I just sort of got out my camera and I, and I wanted to showcase, uh, and this was before anybody was really doing this online because YouTube was only three years old at this point. And, uh, but the world of, of Michael Myers masks was an, an authentic Michael Myers masks, not the ones you buy at Walmart, but the independent guys, you know, make these amazing Michael Myers masks from the Captain Kirk molds, um, was a big thing. 
And I, about 2009, I was able to get my hands on my first ever, you know, real Michael Myers mask, so to speak, uh, from the first movie. And I decided to just shoot myself walking around my house in the costume. And, and then I would play, <laughs> I would play myself as well in it. And I would edit it together as if, but I know how to edit. So it, it looked pretty good. <laughs> you know, like it didn't, it, I mean, you can tell it shot on a home camera, of course, but it looked pretty good. And then as the, as the years went on and, and I upgraded my equipment and all that kind of stuff, um, I was able to shoot on higher end stuff and, and, uh, get my friends involved and, and just, just have some fun, you know, and, and create, a, um, you know, moody atmospheric sort of, uh, stuff. Like there's a short Halloween fan film on my YouTube channel right now called the boogeyman. And I think that was the last one I did. It's only about maybe seven minutes long, eight minutes long, 10 minutes, maybe something like that. I, I don't think it's too long. Um, and it's just me walking around my basement, but I light myself an atmospheric sort of, you know, lighting. And, and then I attack a closet and I do all the sound design <laughs> and I, and I pretend that there's like, you know, a woman in the closet and there's a baby crying and I'm trying to break into the closet. But I, you know, if I do say so myself, I think it looks all right. So, <laughs> so, you know, and I just have fun with it. I, I, I like showcasing it. People really liked it. They enjoyed it. So I kept doing it. And, and uh, you know, they're short little sort of examples of what you can do with available lighting or a, or a basic understanding of lighting and camera. Uh, you can shoot something pretty good. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. I just like the idea of watching Michael Myers like doing the dishes or like <laughs> that sounds awesome. I'm totally going to look up all your films as soon as we get off this call. I, ha I haven't done that one yet, but I should totally do that. See, that's what I would do if I had a Michael Myers mask. I'd be like making French press coffee and then like that's vacuuming it. or and then I'd be like stabbing a woman in the closet. Well, I saw I saw I think it was a was it a a gif or a meme or something. There was some video because Valentine's day passed a week or so ago and there was somebody had a video of, I don't know who it was. It was, it was great. Uh, they were in their Michael Myers jumpsuit with the mask on sitting in a bathtub with bubbles and roses all around them. Yes. I saw I don't, that. Did you, did you see that? I thought it was great. I, I haven't gone that far yet. <laughs> that was hilarious. That was, yeah, that was, um, I'm not a huge fan of Valentine's day, but that, that was the best thing that happened this Valentine's day was that video. Video. There you go. Um, so I'm sure as a huge Halloween fan, you're aware that there are 24 lost Halloween sequels that never made it to the big screen. Mm -hmm. Were there any storylines that you ever envisioned that you would love to see actually made into a feature length movie one day or maybe that you yourself would possibly try and make into a full length film one day? That's a great question. Um, I can't think of anything specific because I think I'm somebody that believes the care. I mean, well, most movies have shelf life, most sequels, most stories have shelf lives, but I, I think Michael works best in small doses. And, and I think it's primarily because of the, the foundation to his character. I don't think it's a character that can go on and on and on and on and on like Freddie or Jason. Um, uh, although they have gone on and on and on with him, but, um, I always found it interesting that John Carpenter's original idea for Halloween 2 was to, or was it 2 or 4? I think it was 2, uh, to set it in an apartment building. And it was some years later, and Michael returns, and I believe Laurie Strode is now, you know, I don't know how many years later it is, but she lives in an apartment building, and, and it was going to take place 
uh, in an apartment building. And and I, I, I always thought that was fascinating. That was interesting. And that was sort of the inspiration. There's a, speaking of Halloween fan films, there's also a Halloween fan film on my channel called uh, Haddonfield Reaper, which I uh, shot with my buddy Bruce. We shot it in about eight hours, I think it was, on uh, the Samsung Galaxy 9 phone professionally edited, did the sound and everything, and we shot it in an apartment building. And that was the inspiration for that. It's a fun little short. I think you guys get a kick out of it. So that's always intrigued me because of the setting, because the setting is different, right? You go from the neighborhood and the houses to an apartment building, and there's a lot of nooks and crannies and, and you know, the elevator and the stairwells and the maybe an underground parking garage. Or I mean, he could be hiding anywhere. And, and I always thought that was cool because it's it's an extension it, it's not just the same thing you know it's in terms of location um i do know of course that carpenter's original idea and proposal for halloween 4 was to be a little more cerebral and and uh michael sort of is dead but it's the you know halloween is 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 banned but they bring halloween back or they bring him back by banning it the more they push it away he comes back i mean there's all tons of ideas as you said i mean there's a ton of them i don't recall one specifically that makes me think oh they definitely should have done that and i think it's because i'm very protective of the character funny enough i i think uh, although halloween 2 from 81 is in my opinion far inferior to the original i think in terms of the character it's the perfect ending because it, it i mean that's it i mean he's he's burned and he you know and she wins and she got away and I, I just don't know. I, I don't know how much you can go on with the character unless you are, of course, rebooting it and doing and really making it a choose your own adventure then. You, you know what I mean? Um, I, I will say this, though. I will say that, and this is my own idea, that I'm not a big fan of Halloween 5. I think that's a garbage movie. Is that the Hall one Paul Rudd? No, that's Halloween 6. Okay. Uh, Halloween five is the one that introduces the thorn called with the tattoo on his wrist. And um, it's, it, it introduces the man in black. Uh, they are also in part six with Paul Rudd, but Halloween five is the one that follows part four. And uh, I think four, although not a great movie, I think it's a decent sequel and follow up. And I think they just drop the ball with five. I, I think they should have made it more about Jamie and the relationship with Rachel and uh, nurture that because that's what you've established in part four. Rachel begins kind of being, oh, my foster sister, I don't know. And she doesn't hate her, but she's just, you know, she's a teenager. She wants to go out with her friends and her boyfriend and whatnot. And then, of course, by the end of the movie, they are going through this shit show of this serial killer and they and that should have brought them together and instead they kill her off you know 10 minutes into the movie or whatever in in part five and 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 that five is just a weird film and and i think if <laughs> I, I think they dropped the ball okay yeah i honestly besides the i like the original i like h2o and mm. then i do like um the 2018 um film which i'm curious what are your thoughts on that, that they just kind of like bypassed all the other films that were made and that the 2018 one is supposed to be the sequel to the original. Um, how do you feel about that? And also the subsequent films, Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends that are coming out. Well, um, I think I think it's the only thing you could do with Halloween. I mean, Halloween has been done to death. And although a lot of people like to see it as a choose your own adventure, I mean, really, at the end of the day, it was incompetence that got us here. <laughs> it's not like it was a conscious, creative decision to make this choose your own adventure timeline. Um, it was just, you know, it is what it is. The 2018 movie I was very excited about. And uh, as we all were, I. Um, 
I don't I don't dislike the movie, but I I had expectations that I don't think were unrealistic expectations. I don't think they were 40-year-old fanboy expectations. I think when you say that you're making a sequel to the original film and saying that 2 through Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 no longer exist, well, there is a certain, you know, when you're telling me that this character, this incarnation of the character is the same man in that 1978 film, naturally there are things that I expect to see. There's a tone that I expect to see. There's a style that I expect to see. Um, And... I thought that I thought Halloween 18 was the best Halloween movie we've had in quite some time, but it failed largely for me as a Halloween movie. I think it did very well as a modern day slasher. And I think there were some Halloween things in it that were very good, but it was largely for me anyway, void of any real suspense. Um, I think it needed a bit more of that. I think mood and atmosphere was sort of, yeah, it was kind of there, but not really there. You know, it was, I mean, it's not a bad movie. It, it's certainly not a bad movie, but for me, there were just moments that I, I wish I would have, like, I'll give you an example. So the uh, character of Vicky, who uh, gets killed when Michael comes out of the closet, right? So now that, that was destroyed in the marketing. Now that's not the fault of David Gordon Green or the producers, that's, that's the marketing department, that's, that's been approved. That oh my God moment was destroyed in the marketing because we know that Vicky's going to die, we know how she's going to die, and we know where she's going to die by the trailer. And I think that scene, to build more suspense, this is how I would have done it. So Julian says, uh, can you uh, close the closet door? I think is what he says, right? And she goes over to the closet door and she tries to close it, but she can't because obviously Michael's foot's in the way or something. And she opens the door and boom, there he is. Okay, great. It works. It's not that there's anything wrong with that. How I would approach it to build suspense for that scene was I would have had Julian say, can you turn on the closet light for me? Because the closet light, I think, should have been off. And kids like lights on, right? Even though he's got a night light in his room, maybe he wants the closet light on as well. So she goes over to the closet, she opens it, she tries to turn it on, but it doesn't work. Now, you could play this two ways. You could also play it that it does work. She turns it on, and as the light turns on, ba-ba, there he is. But why not milk it a bit more? Why not build that suspense a bit more and allow the character of Michael to do what he does? What is his M.O.? Well, this is what his M.O. is. So uh, she goes to turn on the light. The light doesn't work. She turns around. Now her back is to the closet, and she says to Julian, hey, the light must be out. Do your parents have a bulb somewhere, whatever? And he's like, oh, I don't know. And as she's speaking, we see Michael's face slowly emerging from the darkness behind her. And you see him, that that mask just suddenly appears behind her. That's what he does. That's Michael Myers. It's not that what they did was wrong, but I think that was a missed opportunity. For me, anyway, that's a moment where it's like, oh my God, there he is. And you allow that scene to ramp up the suspense a bit more. You know what I mean? I would just like to say that I'm loving this conversation and I could listen to this all day long, seriously. No problem. Um, but also, um, I, I, yeah, that's kind of all I've got. <laughs> no, I appreciate you putting your own. I See, when I'm watching a movie, I, I would never be able to be like, hmm, like how, how would I be able to like make this more suspenseful or, or, you know, I, I just, I'm not a filmmaker. I don't have yeah. that vision when I'm watching it. So I, I really appreciate hearing a filmmaker talk about that because 
uh, now I have to rewatch the movie <laughs> and envision what you just said in that scene. Cause I'm sure you're right. Also, I have to say one of the reasons I stopped watching trailers is for the exact reason you said, especially for horror movies and comedies. I think trailers give way too much away. They give away all the jokes or they give away all the scares. That That's was actually right. going to be my other point, And I lost my train of thought because I was still envisioning the scene that you were describing. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know what? And, and to be fair, like it's, I mean, what they did isn't wrong. I mean, it, it, it works and I'm sure it works for somebody and I'm sure somebody in the theater was like, Oh my God, you know, but is there a better way to do it? Is there a better way to do it? That is Halloween. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that's, that's the key. That's the trick. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I, I appreciate uh, slow burn horror movies as well. So I appreciate drawing the tension out a bit, you know, because right. I think it's more effective that way. It 100%. is. 100%. Um, but since you mentioned Rob Zombie, I just have to quickly ask, what did you think of the Rob Zombie Halloween remakes? Uh, well, not a fan. Uh, <laughs> um, I commend Rob for, you know, taking it in a completely different direction. And, and Rob Zombie's Halloween films are, are sort of, it, it, there's no gray area, really. Uh, you either really like them or you really hate them. Um, I like his first Halloween better than I like his second Halloween, but I'm not really a fan of either. The problem for me with Rob Zombie, and and I, I think he's talented, I do, but the problem is, is that, and I remember I took my then 63-year-old mother to see Rob Zombie's Halloween in the theater. That was a, that was a, <laughs> and she was a big Halloween fan. So uh, I was like, well, let's go see Halloween. And, you know, in the first five minutes, we're having these, you know, horrific <laughs> lines being said. So uh, it was a little awkward, you know, kind of like you're watching a sex scene with your mother or something. It's just kind of strange and weird. <laughs> um, that's how it felt. Rob Zombie, I find, with most of his movies, he has a... Uh, very white trash trailer hick uh, tone and spin to all of his movies. And now some are more apparent than others, but he's very sort of, that's his style. And, you know, he brought that style to Halloween. And I understand why he's he, he's allowing justification for why Michael is the way he is. He's showing the nature versus nurture, right? Michael is this way um, because he was, you know, he was nurtured this way. He 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 was brought up this way. If if he came from a regular suburban uh, household, maybe he wouldn't have been. But the irony is, is that he did come from a regular suburban household in the original Halloween. That's why it's so effective. You have the little, you know, wartime home, the well-to-do parents show up, they're well-dressed. Michael, they take off the clown mask. Oh my! The reason why it's shocking is because you have this horrific event with this kid that has a butcher knife the size of his little torso. He's standing there just murdering his sister, and it's all this horrificness against the backdrop of normalcy. I'm not going to say that you're sort of causing a rift between me and Sharon, but I just want to say <laughs> thank you because I am 100% in agreement. And I, I too think that the, Rob Zombie is talented and there's value to some of what he does for sure. And he definitely has a point of view. But that to right. me was what bothered me as I was like, that's the point of Michael Myers is that he is 
in the suburban home and we don't know why he's crazy and that's why it's scary. Right. And then and then again, it's not that what Rob did was wrong necessarily, but when you have an established character that has been known as one thing for so many years, it would be the equivalent of watching pick your favorite TV show, right? And for the first six or seven seasons, they are one way. And then in season eight, they suddenly do something that is out of character. It doesn't make sense based on the journey they've been on, based on what we know about the character. Now, you could say, well, hang on a sec. This isn't a sequel. Rob Zombie's Halloween was an original piece. But because the character is so iconic and because what we know about Michael is so iconic, it became very difficult, I think, for a lot of people to get on board with this style. It was just, but like I said, it's either a really love it or a really hate it thing, right? There's really no in between. And for me, it just didn't work for me. And then Halloween 2 was sort of even stranger. Um, and it just didn't work for me. And I commend Rob for doing what he did. Um, but it it's not my style. Fair enough. I mean, you're definitely not alone in that at all. I mean, I think I'm probably more in the uh, minority of someone who does like it but I think that's I'm biased because I just love House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects so much Devil's Rejects was great so good yeah so I'm like he can't make a bad movie what are you talking about (laughs) (laughs) um so let's move on to our lightning round okay um so just you know whatever pops into your head first you don't need to really think about it okay I'm ready all right first question what is your favorite horror movie (laughs) <laughs> Halloween. All right. Oh, I thought you were going to say Black Christmas. So you it's me. oh, it's 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 in my top three. OK, <laughs> it's in my top three. <laughs> what What's your uh your third pick then? Oh, I would say uh, I mean, it varies. Right. But I would say Halloween, Black Christmas and then either ooh, either whatever happened to baby Jane way back in the day. Yes. Or uh, I do also like uh, the original Psycho as well. I think is very good. It, it, it oh, and I love the original Elm Street. I mean, it's you know, it it kind of it's kind of it 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 depends on the day. <laughs> Absolutely, no, we know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> All right, who is your favorite horror director? Ooh, that's a really good question. Uh, I don't think, uh, uh, I mean, instinctually I want to say Carpenter, but I think that's cheating. I, I think, uh, I, I, I do like Wes Craven. Okay. All right. And you, you can always, you can give more than one answer. Too. Okay. Yeah. I, but th- there's so many, I mean, there's so many good ones, you know? Uh, I mean, I like, although he didn't stick with horror, I, I think had he, I think Kubrick would have been fascinating as mm. a horror director. Yeah. Yeah. If you had a chance to play any horror movie character in history, who would you play and why? And it doesn't have to be, it could be a villain, it could be the hero, uh, whoever you'd want it to be. Well, it's funny you ask that. I think I'm going to, and I'm cheating a little bit here because I'm actually going to be doing it, sort of. I'm, I, I'll say Freddy Krueger. And I actually am um, going to be playing Freddy, although it's been delayed because of COVID right now. Uh, I'm playing Freddy Krueger in a fan tribute film opposite Miko Hughes, actually, um, called Dylan's New Nightmare. And it's being produced by Vincent DeSanti and Cecil Laird. Vincent DeSanti did the Never Hike Alone films. And uh, we're going to be doing, it's an unofficial sequel to Wes Craven's New Nightmare. And Miko is returning to play the role, you know, 30 years later, whatever, uh, or 25 years later, I guess. And we were we were supposed to do this last year. Uh, we were actually going to shoot it far 
um, before I was going to shoot, it's me, Billy. But uh, the pandemic hit. And of course, being here in Canada, the borders are then closed and all that kind of stuff. But in 2019, when I was in LA, I was actually attending uh, the Voice Arts Awards at Warner Brothers. And uh, at that same time, I went over and I had my my head cast or my face cast, like a whole cast and everything, because they're going to be doing prosthetic makeup for me. And uh, it's going to look fantastic. Nora Hewitt is doing it and it's just going to be, it's going to be great. So um, I'm, and it, it's a short film, but it's, uh, that's something I'm really excited about. So I'm going to say Freddy Krueger. I have such a smile on my face. You have no idea. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. So fun. Yeah, that's another one of Mindy's favorites. So we will be looking for that. Oh boy, pressure's on now. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you believe in ghosts? And the paranormal. Uh, yes, I do. And I do because of a personal experience that happened to me in my second year of college, <gasps> which is um, I have written, well, I have, it's like 20 years in the making here, but I've, I've written a, uh, a feature length script uh, entitled Port Robinson Road. And it's uh, something that has been sort of in development hell for years and years because it's something that's going to cost a lot of money to shoot. Um, but it's not it's not a supernatural horror. I mean, it is, but it's not like your standard supernatural Hollywood horror run of the mill kind of thing. I've written it in a way where it's more of a thriller drama kind of thing. And because and I, I find this stuff so fascinating, but I find what's more fascinating is really understanding the science behind it. Like, like, is it possible? And because we can go around and we can like, not that these ghost hunting shows and paranormal shows don't have their place and they're not fun to watch, but at the end of the day, they're there for entertainment and you don't really, you're, you're not any further ahead of discovering whether ghosts are actually real or not by the end of the show, because they're there, you know, you hear EVPs and you hear this, you hear that, and it's fun, but I want to get to the, the, you know, the, the real root of it. Like, where does the seat of consciousness lie? Does consciousness survive death? Yeah. And if it does, even th there's, there's circumstantial evidence that it may a little bit and, but does it survive indefinitely? And if you can prove that, I don't know how you do it, but if you could prove it now, that's interesting because now we're getting to the real, you know, the science of it. But I, I have had enough circumstantial experience at the very least in my life that I do believe that the probability is high that something survives the process of death. I don't know what that is. I don't think it's necessarily Casper running around. I don't necessarily <laughs> believe that when you die, you wake up and you're on a cloud and they're all your friends and family. I, I don't know what it is, but I do believe something survives the process of death. If you don't mind, can you share your story? Sure. Yeah, I can. Again, I'll try to give the Cliff Notes version. Um, <laughs> so it's entitled Port Robinson Road. And the reason why it's titled that is because that's the name of the street where this uh, took place. So here's the cliche part. Uh, but <laughs> I assure you everything isn't cliche. Uh, is It's an old abandoned farmhouse. Uh, womp, womp, womp. Uh, but it is. It is. And uh, I was attending Niagara College in Welland, Ontario. Somebody had asked me one night. I was up uh, late. I lived in residence and somebody asked me if I, I think I was talking, I think I was talking about ghosts because there were rumors that the residence was haunted and people were experiencing kind of weird things. And that was the sort of the catalyst. And the person behind the desk who I was talking to said, 
well, have you heard about the house over on Port Robinson Road? And I said, well, no, I, I what, what's the house on Port Robinson Road? <laughs> and uh, now I'm like really into it, right? And uh, she told me about it and, and she told me her experience and how it's been abandoned for years. Now things are just left there. It's this old farmhouse about a football field away from the main road. And, and the main road is like this little road. It's not like a main highway or anything. And, uh, and I was like, wow, holy crap, you know? And so we went over there and, and I got, you know, a group of people um, together, not that night, obviously, because it was two in the morning, but I grabbed a bunch of people. This is November 2000, in the year 2000. And uh, we decided to go over and to check it out. And we went during the day and it was definitely creepy. Uh, you walk in and everything was left there. And it was like, you know, the refrigerator is there. It's 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 falling apart, but it's, you know, it's, it's abandoned. I mean, if you've ever been in an abandoned house with shit all there, that's kind of what it was like. And we decided to come back that night uh, and lo and behold, it, it rains uh, like perfect. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so we go back and, and we go and now it's raining and, and, uh, and it's teeming. I mean, it's not just rain, it's teeming, like it's bouncing off the pavement. And, but we went back and we bundled up and I got the flashlights and I brought a cassette recorder. <laughs> and um, because I had heard that, you know, things that you don't see or hear tend to pick up on tape. So I brought this cassette recorder and we wa and it definitely was a different feeling. Now, obviously, it's nighttime, it's raining, you're in the middle of a fucking field in the middle of nowhere. Obviously, <laughs> it's going to feel different. But there was a different feeling to it beyond that. Nothing particularly happened, I don't recall. And then when I came home, or back to the residence, excuse me, I'm lying in, in, in bed. And I'm listening uh, through headphones of what we had just recorded. And I heard what sounded like a voice. And this is my first experience with, you know, what is known, of course, as EVP, electronic voice phenomenon. Right. And, and I, was, I was like, that sounds like a kid. Like it, sound, it, it sounds like a young voice. And of course, we're all in our 20s. And I was like, this sounds like a young voice. So I go out to the front desk and I get people to listen to it. And, and I didn't say anything because I wanted to see if they heard the same thing and if they thought the same age as me. And they all did. And I said, that sounds like a voice. And it was two voices. The first one sounded like they said either scary or scurry. And then the next one sounded like my fault, like my fault. Wow. Like that. And, and this is my first experience with this. And, and I'm thinking, holy snap and crap. I'm like, this is like, <laughs> what is this? And that was sort of the catalyst that started this, this adventure to investigate this house of what happened there. But we were doing it in a really serious way, you know, and the experience that people continue to have over there, you know, people seeing, you know, like, I mean, there was this one guy that swears up and down and he wasn't the kind of guy to say this. He was a big six foot two rugby guy. And he came over to the house and we're over there. This is like a couple of weeks later. It's nighttime. I became like the official sort of <laughs> like, you know, tour guide. You know, I, I was taking people over and uh, I should have charged for it. I probably would have made a fortune. <laughs> and um, so I'm over there and we're over there. It's nighttime. We're standing kind of in the back during, you know, near this cold room area. And the guy who I'm talking about is standing off to my right. And he's looking in a, in the direction where you can see the front door. You can see the front door. The front door and the back door are parallel to each other. You can see the front door. There's a big, there's a kitchen window. None of the windows have any glass on them, by the way. So you can, this is maybe the end of November. So it's cold. You can see through the window out into the field. It's black, of course. It's pitch black, but you can see through it. And you can, and there's a big bay picture window off to the left in the living room, which also has no glass on it. 
And you can hear me on the tape. I'm talking and I'm talking about the shit that's on the ground and stuff from this. All the stuff was from the 70s, by the way. Like we found 70s calendars, dot to dot books from the 1970s, uh, Christmas cards from the 1970s to to a family. And the guy, now this, this six foot two rugby guy is standing next to me and I'm only 5'8", so he's a big guy. And he's looking in the other direction. And he's kind of freaking out a little bit. And we're like, and, and you can hear us on the tape. We're like, what's wrong? You know, are you okay? What's wrong? What's wrong? And he said, we have to go. We have to go now. Oh. And, and I said, what's wrong? Are you okay? And he's like, I just want to go. I want to go. I want to go. And on the tape, you actually can hear me going, you know, John, what's wrong? What's wrong, buddy? You know, come on, come on. And you can hear us, you know, trenching through the house and the glass breaking and things like that. And, um, and when you can hear us walking down this driveway, that's like a football field long in the middle of nowhere. And we get back into the car and we're driving now back to the residence, which is probably about five, 10 minutes down the road. And I'm paraphrasing, of course, what he said, but he said, I don't know what the fuck was going on. He says, but you were talking about shit. And all I heard was a bunch of whispering. And he said, no, I don't know where it was coming from. It just kind of sounded like it was like, like I had headphones on, like it was in my ears. And he said, and then the next thing I know, my flashlight reflected off of something outside. And I could see this dark shadow walking across through the kitchen window walking across by the front door and then continuing to the left by the big bay picture window. Now, I turned to John and I said, are you sure there wasn't actually somebody out there? Right. You know, because, you know, you, I'm a firm believer that more often than not, there are reasonable explanations for unusual occurrences. Yeah, agreed. And, and people tend to freak out over shit. You know what I mean? And I said, is it possible that somebody may have been out there, a neighbor, a police officer, you know? And he says, well, of course it's possible. He said, I don't know if my light reflected off a watch or a badge maybe on the cop or, but you think the cop would have said something. You think they would have had a light, you know, if we, cause I mean, technically, I guess we're trespassing even though there were no signs. So you think they would have said something and um, they didn't. And he, and, and then he started to hear the voices again. And he said, one sounded like a young girl and one sounded like a young boy. And one said, don't do that. And then the other one said, you shouldn't do that. And I'll, I'll, I'll never forget this. And he wrote this all down to me and came to my door and actually presented it to me in, in like a couple of pages. And this was a guy that, I mean, is he lying? Maybe, maybe he is. I mean, I don't know. I'm not in his head. Maybe he just thought, you know what? Tonight I'm going to fuck with these guys. Maybe he did. <laughs> but his story never changed. And he looked genuinely disturbed by it. Uh, like he wasn't expecting it. Now, the last thing I'll tell you, because I know I'm talking a lot here, um, is I remember it was cold and I have this on tape. I still consider this one of the clearest EVPs I've ever heard in my life. And it was January 2001 and we were over there and you can hear me on the tape say to the people, that there were only two people there with me. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. And um, <laughs> you hear me say, well, do you think we should go and check upstairs? And remember, it's pitch black in this house, guys. There's, I mean, you can only see where your flashlight is pointed. It's incredibly dark. And it's not, a, it's not a big house either. And I said, well, do you think we should go and check upstairs? And nobody said anything. Now, my friend that was there, she begins to shake. She's actually visibly shaking. And you hear me on the tape say, what's wrong? Are you cold? Are you cold? What's wrong? Because, I mean, it's minus, you know, what, whatever it is out there. It's January here in Canada. And she didn't say a word. She didn't say a thing. 
The other person that was there, you could hear her going, you know, are you okay? What's wrong? Are you okay? Well, we, uh, we leave, we get back to the residence and we're listening to the tape back. And wouldn't you know it, at that moment, when you hear me say, do you think we should go and check upstairs? I kid you not, as clear as I'm speaking to you now, you hear another voice say the word don't. And this is how you hear it. You literally hear this. Don't. Oh literally God. hear that. Now, it, it shot. I'm getting goosebumps now even talking about it. Yeah, it we is are the too. Yeah. It's the clearest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. Excuse me, I didn't mean to swear there. No, swear I don't know if you allow away. swearing on the show. We, okay, fuck, fuck, fuck. There we go. The horse, talk, horse. Swear <laughs> that's away. Tr- that is true. That's, uh, that's a good point. Um, <laughs> so it's like, it was the clearest thing I've ever heard in my life. And like in terms of EVP, because most of the time when you watch these, you know, ghost hunting shows and things like that. Yeah, sometimes they get something clear, but nine times out of 10, it's usually, you know, hell man. Hello, man. Hello, man. You know, and and they try to fit what they think it is in there, right? Well, I guess it could be jalapeno, or it could be, you know, like I mean, it could be anything, right? There is no doubt in my mind. I could play it from across the room, and you'd go, "Yeah, that sounds like dumb." And here's what the the, the real crazy thing is: it doesn't just sound like there's there's a couple things that are wild. It's not just don't. Clearly, it's don't. You can also hear. It, it sound at least to me it does anyway. It sounds female. I mean, you actually can pick out a gender, which I know in the world of EVP now is not a big deal. But in 2000, it was like, oh my God, it sounds like a woman. Um, And you also hear her take a breath. So it's not just don't, it's don't. Like you actually hear an inhale of breath. And it's so fascinating. And, you know, does that mean ghosts are real? No. But it certainly means there's something going on. Is that an imprint? Is it a memory? Is it is it somebody's consciousness? You know, is it is it what is it? What is that? You know, and people have said, well, are you sure you were there alone? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We were there. <laughs> the house isn't very big. We were there alone. You would hear somebody if they were there. Yeah. And it was right by the, um, uh, the microphone on the cassette recorder. And there is, if you listen to it over and over again, you can almost hear a different sort of frequency a bit. There's a different frequency in the way the don't sounds in relation to how we sound. Uh, and, and so, I, I, anyways, there's a ton more of stuff I could tell you, but I've written a feature-length screenplay based around this experience, but I want it to be taken seriously. I, I want it to be about a group of college kids, but I want to do sort of what Bob Clark did, uh, which I admire in this, hey, hey, there I go, bring it back to Black Christmas, look at that. Eh? <laughs> Full circle. Um, There you go. Uh, Because the one thing that I love that he said about Black Christmas, which is what we've also instilled in It's Me, Billy, as well, is, and I'm paraphrasing Bob, but he said something to the effect of, you know, the college, and this is the 70s, he said, you know, these college girls, it's not all, I think he said something like, it's not all bikinis, bimbos, and beaches or something. Like these, there's a maturity to Black Christmas. There's a maturity to, I mean, yeah, they're girls, but it's not like the archetypal characters that you see in modern day horror films. Oh, she's the slut. She's, you know, she's mm-hmm. the this, she's the that, are not really present there. I mean, yeah, Margot Kidder might be a little, you know, but, but, <laughs> but it's, it's not as present as you see it today. There's a maturity to the film and that's how I want It's Me Billy to be, which is how we shot it. And the same with, with, um, uh, with Port Robinson Road as well. 
Anyway, whew, there, uh, how's that? <laughs> I, I think I'm a lot like you in the sense that I, I believe that, that there is something there. I have no personal experiences like mm. you do, um, but I'm also very practical. Uh, and I, you know, it's, well, you know what, what could it be? What is the other thing? But I also think about all the time the idea that you said, what is consciousness? Where does it live? What right. happens? Where does it go? I am fascinated by that idea and I am super curious and I cannot wait to see your film when it oh, comes out sometime. I, yeah, well, I, I, gotta, I gotta get money to make that one. But <laughs> yeah, but right. yeah I, I totally know what you mean. And, and it's that thing where, and I learned actually through researching all this for writing that script, I learned that although neurologists and, and brain doctors and experts certainly uh, it, it's a common uh, belief and a, and, and a common acceptance, I should say, that consciousness is produced by the brain. I didn't know that there's actually no scientific evidence that proves that. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that because you would logically think that once the brain shuts down, well, so does consciousness, right? But there is at the very least circumstantial evidence that, I mean, we know about near-death experiences. I mean, you know, the person was dead. There, there's no brain activity. There's no, the heart is not pumping, and yet they can remember conversations down the hall, you know, that happened when they were dead. How is that possible? Doesn't mean ghosts are real, but man, is it fascinating. There's something. Oh, yeah. There's something. Dave, you are like maybe my new favorite person. <laughs> uh, I am one of those dorks that watched the original Ghost Hunters show that right. I think they tried to kind of take it seriously, and then it devolved into what those shows are today but right your stories are amazing but it's fascinating that you mentioned that even just using a plain old cassette recorder that the frequency was different because I do tend to consider myself a healthy skeptic and mm -hmm. I agree like you know there half the time there are other reasons for what people hear that go bump in the night but I am also I don't know that like the app on my phone like they use on the shows today or is going to catch an EVP necessarily, but the that level of science to it is what I'm interested in as well. And yeah, like Spencer said, I hope again, we are we could be very persuasive. Let us know we have, who we have to call. But this Sounds is good. a fascinating story. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. This is the best lightning round we've no ever problem. had, well, you guys. Thank you for it's allowing me to talk about it. I was gonna say it's it's can't really be called a lightning round anymore, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> well, we, I, for, I totally forgot this was we, lightning. Round. <laughs> we we might have to have you on our show again to tell us more of your paranormal stories because I mean I'm I'm gonna say right now I'm a huge believer as well. I've had a lot of things happen in my life. I've I've seen ghosts. I've heard them. I've I'm a huge believer in it. And we've had paranormal investigators on our show before that we've talked to. And we've had people talk about their near death experiences on our show. And it's, it's so fascinating. So I, I think we, if you're up for it, we might have to have you on again to talk more about that. hundred percent. Absolutely. hundred percent, hundred percent. I think it's always, it, it's so important to be skeptical. Cause if you're not, uh, you're, if you're not skeptical, you're cynical, uh, which is not what you want to be. I mean, you don't want to be debunking for the sake of debunking. You want to be open-minded, but you don't want to be gullible either. And I think it's healthy to have a, a healthy sense of skepticism. But there, I, I think there's enough, and I always say this because we, we haven't been able to measure it per se, uh, 
I think there's enough circumstantial evidence at the very least to warrant, hey, you know, maybe we should kind of look into this. <laughs> it's kind of a little strange here, you know. If there turns out to be a rational explanation and science actually finds out that, yes, consciousness does survive, it, su- it survives for five minutes. Oh, okay, well, and, and, and then it's gone. Okay, well, then I'm, I'm willing to accept that, but we don't know yet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just a couple more questions here. No problem. Um, so if you get a chance to make a full length sequel to Black Christmas, will you? Uh, oh, I would love to, guys. I would. You know, what was so cool about working on It's Me, Billy is we took this very seriously. And, you know, working in the industry and knowing the people that I do here in Canada and abroad, and my best friend, of course, Bruce, who is the National Manager of Education and Training at uh, White's in Toronto, which is Canada's largest distributor of uh, lighting and grip gear and camera and all that kind of stuff. Oh, nice. Um, you know, we were able to, um, you know, foster a team together of working professionals in Canada's film industry. And we shot on the Airy Mini and, and uh, I mean, which is, you know, they shot, you know, the Joker on that in 1917. And I mean, it is, a, it's cinematic quality. We handled everything from development to pre-production, production, now post-production. Everything is being done professionally. And because of that, there are moments when we were on set shooting It's Me, Billy, where we would get giddy because although we're not, it almost felt like we were shooting the sequel to Black Christmas because of how everything is looking and the team that we have. And 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 it just, it really does feel that. It still kind of feels that way, even though it's not, it's a tribute film and, and it's a short film. It sort of feels that way. And my hope is that this will maybe catch the attention of some people and be like, hey, you know what? That's actually not a bad idea. Maybe it'll be sort of what James Wan's short film for Saw was for Saw. Mm. You know, um, maybe, you know, you never say never. Because I think it's, I think there is more to tell, but it's got to be done in the right way. Agreed. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed. I, I would love to see a full length version. So Me too. And will help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> What advice do you have for people who want to get into voice acting? And I know Spencer may be listening closely to this one because this is something he's talked about a lot. Cool. Yeah, no problem. Um, I would say that my first bit of advice would be, um, I always say this to people, is is to understand that uh, this is obviously it's a business. It's it's a, it's one of the most important parts of the entertainment and the corporate industries as well. And But it is a business. And um to understand that this has voiceover ironically enough has very little to do with the sound of your voice and everything to do with your acting and performing abilities. Uh, There are voice actors out there right now that have great voices, but are struggling to make a career out of it. And I mentioned this on my website as well. There are voice actors out there that are just have average voices, but are hugely successful. And that's because they understand the nuances and the idiosyncrasies, if I dare say, of acting. They understand performing and they understand how to take direction, how to interpret a script. You know, it doesn't mean that having a nice voice doesn't help, but it doesn't mean you're going to be successful. Um, So I often say to people, learn the craft of voiceover, you know, take an acting class as well. Uh, Become a better actor, you know, learn acting techniques, learn how to interpret a script and, uh, you know, start that way because there are, I mean, there are radio DJs that are terrific at radio, but fail to make the transition to voiceover because they continue to be sort of radio-like, you know, they're not really, they don't necessarily possess any inherent acting abilities. And although 
acting really comes into animation, that's where you're really going to flex your acting muscles. So, you know, you might think, well, am I really acting when I'm doing movie trailers or promos or commercials? And well, yeah, you are. You know, I mean, you're not maybe doing it like you do cartoons, but you are still playing a fictional version of yourself in some aspect. So um, those are the things that I would say is, is, is really learn the craft of acting, learn the business of voiceover, learn what it's all about. And uh, that's at least a good place to start. I have to say I'm a big fan of, um, well, Bob's Burgers, the animated show, and subsequently <laughs> uh, Archer. Uh, H. John Benjamin has been a fan. Sharon and I have literally been fans of his for years and years as well. And that is right. one thing about Archer that strikes me, that cast especially, and Bob's Burgers, is you can tell that they have it. Their chemistry, the at, they are all well-versed at interpreting the nuances. That's awesome yes. advice. Thank you. Um, we're going to close out this lightning round and we're going to shake it up a little <laughs> bit, though. And we're going to close out this slow storm. <laughs> <laughs> um, that we've all been listening to intently. You have no idea. My jaw has been on the, my desk like the entire time. Okay, because I know I can talk a lot, so I'm glad, I'm glad at least it was entertaining. Oh, my Absolutely. God. I'm really glad we're not using the video right now because I would just look like a... I would just be have like a gaping mouth right now. That sounds terrible, but we're talking about horror, so whatever. Um, so, but we're gonna close this out by shaking it up. We're gonna share something about you that maybe you may not be aware of. Oh, okay. We'll, Ooh, exciting. We'll see. Um, so, uh oh, uh -oh. what you, photos did did get out there? I don't know. No, 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 no. Nothing scandalous. Uh, your IMDb page has. Mm -hmm. All the usual stuff, your impressive voiceover experience, bits about um, when you were a kid and you or when you had your first voiceover or on air radio experience, actually, yes. too. But then like randomly tossed in there, I noticed that there was this one sentence about things you enjoy. And it says, is a fan of Family Guy and chocolate milk. <laughs> and that's it. No context, no explanation. And I thought that was awesome and right on because I agree on both points. Any idea how that got in there? <laughs> Sorry, say again. Any idea how that got in there? I just thought that I, was such a funny random bit. Yeah, P often um, I'm. Uh, no, actually, I, I think it, I think it was a buddy of mine that put that in there, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, because the chocolate milk thing is very niche. -y. I mean, you'd have to know me personally to know that. It's not like I, you know, make that known. Um, <laughs> I do love chocolate milk, actually. I've always loved chocolate milk ever since I was a kid. It, it's so apparent that sometimes when I go out with, you know, with friends and we're at a uh, <laughs> restaurant or, a, or you know, um, a restaurant that, you know, has a bar and maybe we'll be at the bar or something, uh, you know, they'll say, uh, oh, I'll have a, you know, a butt or whatever. And they'll turn to me and they'll be like, and he'll have a chocolate milk, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> it's got, it's got such an identity. It's, it's such a kid thing, you know, and, and sometimes I take them up on, I go, you're damn right. I'm going to have a chocolate. Milk. <laughs> I'm like that, but with hot chocolate. <laughs> ah, hot chocolate's good too. Hot chocolate's good too. Uh, yeah, I'm an unabashed fan of chocolate milk. I will be, I'm pretty sure it'll be on my tombstone or something. I don't know. Um, and family guy. Yeah. I'm a huge family guy fan. I think yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's hilarious. Awesome. I just had to ask because uh, I'm a fan of both of those things too. And Amazing. I actually, I was at a grocery store once and had was buying chocolate milk amongst other just like random stuff. And the cashier asked me if I was purchasing for a child. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, 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 it's funny you say that because I also bought about it was just after the force awakens came out and I went to Toys R Us and I bought uh, Kylo Ren's uh, lightsaber. 
Uh, the one that it's like the dark, what is it? Dark ride or dark side lightsaber or something. Anyway, it's really, really cool. Right. You know, like an, it's like $150. Right. Yeah. 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 And I'm going through the, the cash and I, I got it. I'm not thinking twice. I'm thinking, well, I'm a, you know, I, I'm a guy. I could be buying it for myself. And the, and the cashier uh, says something to the effect of, uh, oh, he's going to love it. and i I looked up and i said yes he will he's very excited (laughs) we've done that my dad's a big star wars fan and that used to happen to me and my mom at christmas when we go to toys r us to get him whatever latest ship and my they'd say who are you buying this for my mom would say oh my 40 something husband (laughs) right (laughs) and that's it oh Oh, my god yeah. yeah i think um you're becoming one of my favorite people too. I think when the, awesome. That's when, great. When the pandemic's over and we're able to travel again, we'll have to go to Toronto and we'll all go to a bar and get chocolate milks together. Down, totally down. It's on me. All the chocolate milks are on me, and Spencer yes. can come too. Awesome. <laughs> oh, Dave, thank you so much for playing and for sharing your awesome stories. We are so grateful and thankful that you came on our show. One more time, what all the good information we all want people to know. Sharon, would you do the honors in asking? Yes. Um, so where can people contact you or follow you if you want them to? Um, and also, do you have any other things that are you know upcoming projects that you want to promote? Well, uh, social media. Well, on Instagram, it's just Dave McRae 79. McRae is uh, M-C-R-A-E. Dave McRae 79 on Instagram. On Twitter, it's The Voice Man. Uh, man has two ends, and the only reason for that is because the voice man with one end dot com was taken. So I just added another M. There's or, or N. You know, there's really no 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 cool thing about that. Um, so at The Voice Man with two ends on Twitter, uh, Facebook. You can follow me on Facebook at Many Things Dave. McCray. Uh, that's where I can be followed on Facebook. And uh, YouTube is just Dave McCray. Just type in Dave McCray and I should be the first thing that pops up. And then, uh, yeah, my website, uh, thevoiceman.com um, and 79films.com as well. Um, any projects coming up? Not in the immediate future. I, I, well, I just finished doing actually some animation the other day for uh, a kid's show airing. Uh, I don't know when it's going to air, actually, but I played a, a, a grumpy porcupine. That was fun. Um, <laughs> And uh, so I'm looking forward to that. That was a lot of fun. Um, so I just finished that. And then really, I mean, we're neck deep into post-production on It's Me, Billy. We are almost done the assembly edit and uh, we're doing the sound design uh, simultaneously with that. And then hopefully in the month of March, that's when we move into the color grading and color correction process. So that's, I mean, over the next few months, that's really taking up a big, a big uh, part of my, my time. So uh, that's kind of what's been going on. Awesome. Well, we cannot wait to see it. Congrats on it. And yeah, just keep us updated when when it's available to watch. And we'll definitely share it on our social media pages. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on our show. No problem. Honestly, if Spencer wouldn't yell at me for making noise, I would have been like jumping up and down this entire time. <laughs> he needs that room to edit, right? He needs that. That Yeah, I, I totally understand. Uh, no, well, thank you for having me on. I can see why you guys do this together. You got great chemistry uh, and it, it flows well. There's no awkward pauses. You can tell you guys have been doing this a while. And yeah, I think you guys are great. I'd be more than happy to come on again. Oh, Aww, thank, you. thank you so much. Well, Sharon, did we even mention we used to play Freddy Krueger in the basement of my parents' house when I was like <laughs> eight years old? That's how we met. So we're long term. See, we're I was right just there gonna, with you. 
the chemistry is real. Whenever I have Bruce <laughs> on my channel, people often say, you know, you got to bring him on again. You know, you guys, it's, it's like you've known, you know, for, you know for, forever. It's like you guys have known each other forever. And, and we have, because there's natural chemistry there when you've known somebody for so long. And certainly you can see it with you guys too. Thank you. They appreciate you. that. Yeah, we've been friends since the third grade and we were the weird kids that used to play Poltergeist and Freddy Krueger and all that <laughs> in our basement. That's great. I love it. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for listening to that amazing interview we did with Dave McRae. We will include the links to Dave's websites and also the link to the It's Me, Billy trailer in our episode description. As always, you can write to us at whorestalkhorror at gmail.com with anything you want to share with us. Whether it's ghost stories, if you and your friends went and explored any creepy homes in your neighborhood and have some good stories to tell about that, please write us and tell us your stories. You can also share any true crime stories, creepy stories, uh, any episodes that you would like us to cover. Um, we did get a recent request on YouTube, so I'm looking into that story now, and hopefully we will be talking about that on an upcoming episode. Uh, whatever you would like us to read on our show, please write to us. Please subscribe to us, rate and review us. It really, really does help us get more exposure. So if someone is looking for a horror podcast and they just put horror podcast and a thousand different podcasts pop up, the more people who subscribe to us and the more ratings and reviews that we have, our podcast will pop up higher than, you know, the other thousand horror podcasts that are out there. So, you know, that's just the way things work, um, but it does help us get more exposure and we would really, really appreciate it. So thank you if you do that. Also, as always, please be kind to each other, be safe, and as always, thanks for getting creepy with us. Sharon, you want a beer? Uh, oh my God.